believe that those are some of the basics, I believe, for starting what with what fatherhood is about. When you start talking about the 21st century, well, we've got access to technology. We didn't have, you know, uh, uh, cell phones and being able to contact the entire world and get information from the entire world in a second. You know, we had to go to the payphone. You know, we had to, we had right. to spend a dime on the payphone. I remember when the TV used to go off at, at midnight. You know, used to hear right. the, you know, used to hear the Star Spangled Banner. Admit, information went off. So right. we were much more involved in the lives of our young people and our children um, back then. And I think right now what we've got to do is to begin to to regather that or re reclaim um, the ability to spend time with them, whether it's digitally, whether it's uh, personally, but making sure that it's consistently. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to uh, the cats in uh, New Jersey. Uh, uh, Kevin Brown, he's... I got a group of guys back east in New Jersey uh, zooming in on us. Uh, also, uh, we wanted the Love Bay radio station in Canada. They've been very supportive with Man to Man. And so um, thank you for all joining us and all the other people that if I don't call you, please don't hate on me. I, I'm just... Uh, I don't see you, but I, I, I feel you. Um, you know, one of the things that about this 21st century and how fatherhood has changed, and I think Maurice can really identify this more than anything, because uh, when we've started seeing this change in fatherhood was in 1960, where the numbers begin to uh, spike, where fathers uh, stop really being engaged in their children up to that point. Uh, marriages was intact, wasn't as many divorces. Uh, would, would you like to touch on that, Maurice? Yeah, I, I want to follow up on what uh, Matt was, was saying. Uh, you know, what we found um, in the 21st century, unlike, uh, you know, in previous times, is there are far more opportunities for Black fathers these days. And the key is for programs like Man to Man to help these guys identify these opportunities because otherwise they wouldn't know they're out there, okay? Uh, and when I say opportunities, I mean things like employment training, right? Jobs. I mean, uh, in looking at people, and there's so many of our Black fathers who have child support arrearages, okay? We're not just talking about current child support. We're talking about child support arrearages. There are organizations, agencies around the country now that are putting more emphasis on services in child support as opposed to collections. Okay, it's not to say that they're not looking for collections, but they are. There are more opportunities for men who are in, incarcerated, right, to learn what it is and what it means to be a good father. And what I do when I go into prisons, for example, I talk to these guys about my work is not on behalf of you, okay? My work is on behalf of your children. And they're hearing this, and they need to hear it over and over and over again in all of our institutions, in the churches, you know, uh, in, in, in prisons, in the courts, or whatever the case might be. And so bottom line for me, and this is what I want to kind of get to today, is that there are opportunities out there, and there are organizations, not all of which are called fatherhood, Okay. But there are organizations out there that are doing great work, you know, the work that Matt is doing at his church, you know, and others, you know. And so I just want I want to make sure that we, we, we keep our eye on that in terms of what the situation is with black fathers in the 21st century. 
Amen. Amen. Hey, Rufus, come on and join in this conversation, man. Uh, this is one of the youngest fathers here, but it's more like my little brother, man. And I mean, I just love the fact that how he's engaged in his uh, children's lives and even, uh, you know, uh, being married and, you know, being a pastor. What do you think about this subject? Um, you know, well, th thanks, Stuart, again, for allowing me to be here. Um, I feel as though fatherhood is the same but different. You know, I feel like the blueprint that uh, many of us have received from our fathers or grandfathers or even great-grandfathers, the, the foundational premises that we were given are still applicable, but they're just being applied in a different contemporary fashion. You know, so when I think about a black man and a black father today, one of the first things that came to mind for me is agility um, because, you know, the work ethic that many of us have learned, the consistency, the strength, all of that stuff is still applicable. But it, it, it's going to be applied a little bit different, you know, either in being a married father or being a single father um, because the game has changed. You know, and, and, and one of the uh, one of the movies that I love that really displayed that was uh, Fences featuring Denzel Washington. I felt like that movie did an excellent job showing a black father in a previous generation. And when I fast forward to me, I'm 43 years old. It was it, it's just a different game. Do we need to raise our sons to be strong and tough and resilient? Yes. But some of the methods are now changing. You know, I remember when we were coming up, man, our fathers wanted us very strong, you know, like feeding us, not feeding us gunpowder, but, you know, it was about, hey, you're not a punk, you're not a chump, you got to know how to fight physically, you got to know how to fight with your mind and fight verbally. But now I feel like fathers are really being challenged to be more emotionally present in the lives of their children, you know, because... When we were coming up, we didn't have social media as a means to express ourselves as children, but now these kids are expressing themselves 24-7. So as a father, we have to learn, we have to know how to engage in their minds and in their psyches and in their emotions and still father and lead them to where they need to go. So that's why I talk about agility. I feel like, you know, if I would just use the exact blueprint of, of my father, it just wouldn't work in this era because, you know, the game has changed. So I think it's about agility. And again, I'm in the house with my kids. And for fathers that may only get their kids on the weekends, that's going to require more agility and being more nimble because they're having less time with their kids. I believe that fathers that aren't in the home, they could still have a tremendous imprint on their children, but guess what? They're gonna have to be strategic, agile, strong, and just you know able to just navigate through all of the rollbacks and, and barriers that are out there. So again, agility, that's something that came to mind and being emotionally present is something else that came to mind. Man, that's wonderful. You know, you touched on a thing, and I, I just want to uh, talk about this. You know, I, I was looking at some statistics, and it was talking about uh, biological fathers that are resident fathers 
and non-residents fathers. And it was saying that the non-residents fathers are more engaged than the biological resident fathers. And, and, and I thought that, that was a misprint or something. I, I went back and looked at it again. But when, when you're a non-resident father, the challenge is a little different, you know, than it used to be because you're going to have to go to the traditional system. You're going to have to fight because where if you're at home, you're home with your children. I mean, of course, you, uh, you, you're going to provide for them, but you might not necessarily spend all the time with them as you should. I know uh, Sai and I was talking about something very similar, that you can be a father that can be at home but not be engaged with your children. Uh, Sai, what about this subject to you? What, what do you think about it? And touch on that part that I just talked about as well. Okay. Um, it, it's so important that, that um, we, we understand the, the concept of a father being in the home but absent. We've seen it in so many um, cultures. Um, I'm from Africa, and and I and I've seen it whereby the father was in the home, but he was more the breadwinner. He was more the 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 wisdom giver or impart imparter. Um, and seldomly would you see him. Um, some fathers would say, "I love you to their kids," because that was just not the thing. Rufus touched on it to where. Our fathers were so rock solid, strong, you know, that if we were to bring the, that mentality into fatherhood in this 20th century, we scare our kids away, you know. I mean, they will take off running. And uh, but it, it's, it's one of the things that is still present in our in our world today where the father's in the home, but he's so disconnected from his children. He, he is so uh, um, not emotionally connected or sensitive to his kids, what they're saying, what they're going through. And I think um, fatherhood in the 21st century, that is a key thing we need to develop now, our emotional quotient, um, <clears throat> how we how we are able to, to pay attention in such a way to our kids, especially fathers that have girls, okay? We, we have to learn how to be very sensitive to that particular gender and how they move, how they how they respond, how they how they act when they are saying something without saying anything, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if we don't pay attention to that, man, I'm telling you, your your girls will start going out there looking for that touch, for that individual that can give her that particular feel of a fatherhood. Um, we started this conversation, uh, and I love the way um, Brother Maurice said it. He said. I'm not here to talk to you. I'm here about your children. The, the significance about fathers today is for us to know that we, we get a privilege to be givers of life to our children, to be a support system to our children, to be able to guide them in a way where um, when we're no longer here, they have tools to, to walk with. Um, my father always tell, told me that you are, when you have a kid, you become the source. You now become the source. Your children should be comfortable coming to you about anything to have this conversation. And he said, even more so, you being a Christian, understanding that God is your source, you need to, you, you need to be able to reflect the same. So I love the fact that there are some fathers who they may not be in the home, but they have taken the stance to say, you know what? 
that's my blood. That's my DNA. My identity is tied to that. So I got to keep going to meet him where he is. Keep showing up for him. Keep showing up for her. Because um, even if I didn't have it, if I make that commitment, I'm helping to make his life and his future trajectory a whole lot different from what mine was. And and that's what I think fatherhood is going to look like in the 21st century. No, absolutely. I, I see Tyrone Parquet. He's uh, uh, reaching out all the way from Norway, uh, saying that it's important to be present. Uh, balance is needed in the 21st century. Strong and caring, not one of the other. Not one or the other. This brother uh, grew up in Chicago, uh, is a chaplain now with a prison in Norway. <laughs> and he's reaching out all the way from Norway. I see you, brother. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, I want to talk about when we talk about the shift in, in fatherhood in the 21st century, I want to talk about um, the labor force for women. Because that's a major shift when it came to fatherhood. As Sai said, at one time, the man was the, uh, the breadwinner. He was the one who provided. And the mom was the caretaker. She was the one that took care of the children. But things has kind of shifted now where now the woman is in the workforce and she's working. And now the child is at daycare, uh, not really uh, at home with either mother or father. And, and, and some fathers, uh, you know, are actually staying home because the wife makes more than him. What, what, how does that work in this 21st century? Maurice? Yeah, I'm glad you called on me. I have some different opinions about it. Uh, I think when you talk to people like yourself who run uh, local programs, you find that around this issue, there's a lot of domestic violence, okay? And it's with guys that I've talked to who are incarcerated as well as those that I talk to who are in the day-to-day programs. And when you really kind of peel the onion and get more information from them, you find in the final analysis that a lot of domestic violence comes about as a result of these women being the primary breadwinner, or in many cases, the exclusive breadwinner in the house. And so these are the kinds of things that we need to pay attention to because there's such a large percentage of Black fathers who are committing these crimes, really, you know, of domestic violence. And so the good programs, like Man to Man, try to help these guys understand that your emotions, as well as your wife's or your girlfriend's emotions are tied up in these issues that have to do with money and have to do with how much they're bringing into the household. And if we can get them to A, understand this, B, learn, some, get some tools as to how to deal with it, and then put in practice some responses that are gonna be beneficial to them to the mothers of their children or the caretakers of cares of their children and the kids. Because as I say, you know, we're all trying to do what we do on behalf of these children who are growing up. They're seeing these bad experiences happen in our households. And so one of the reasons why I just love the fact that the government, in particular the federal government, has begun to put significant dollars into responsible fatherhood is because we can get access to these guys now, you know? Uh, right. 
We use the courts to help us, you know, by having these guys on probation as opposed to having them incarcerated and then getting them to, to agree, you know, to go through these programs. Because as I said earlier, they don't they don't know what to do. Right. They really don't. And, and sometimes we say that's not an excuse, but really in some ways it is. You know, uh, Dr. Blankenship uh, came up with, with something that was was uh, powerful. He said the most destructive trend in our society today is fatherlessness. And, and, and when he talked about that, uh, domestic violence is definitely one. Uh, substance abuse is another. Uh, you know, uh, high school dropouts, a lack of education, poverty, uh, uh, when we talk about suicide, mental health issues, uh, these are all issues that are related. And, and the, the problem, as you point back, is fatherhood. Now, watch this. Now, we are on Facebook Live. We're on YouTube Live. We're having a discussion about fatherhood. And I, it's not a lot of fathers that's engaged in the conversation, sending comments. I wonder why is that? You know, now if I'm if I'm doing something else on Facebook and I got something else going on, folks is on there. They hit me up. You know, if I'm doing crazy stuff, you know, they they hitting it up. But when we're talking about really actually changing the society, changing the culture, changing uh, the the fact that if we want to stop seeing our young men going to prison, if we want to see our young men get more educated, then we have to get more fathers engaged so that they can be uh, the one. That give them their identity. Uh, Matt and I was doing, you know, and we're still working on this documentary, and we were struggling with the name because there's so many names that comes up when you talk about fatherhood, and we were trying to title this, you know, this this uh, documentary, and we came up with the gift of his presence, you know, because it's, it's, it's important that a father's presence is there. See, a father, as we know, and I'm going to come from, from the biblical standpoint, when we talk about father, the Hebrew word for father is Abba. You know, uh, that means that he is a founder. He's a, the foundation. He is the provider. He is the source. Uh, he is, you know, the, the house band. He keeps it all together. Now, when the father is lacking in the house, then that means that anything can come into the house. Uh, when, when, a, when a young man doesn't know who he is as far as identity, uh, then the streets will give you your identity. You know, then that's why you got a lot of young men running around, don't know who they are. You know, they say, well, you know, brother, you, you're a pimp. Yeah, brother, I'm a pimp. You know, so he go get him a few women and he do his due. You know, or, man, you a, you a killer. Yeah, I'm a killer. So he goes around shooting, killing people, you know, because that reputation is you taking on an identity that somebody else gave you that God never given you. But because the father wasn't there to give him what he needed, then he adopts something who he isn't. Matt, you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Uh, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, not just in the Bible, not just in God, but what you hear enough of, you become. Your belief guides your behavior. So if we're, if we're not putting images in front of our sons and daughters more consistently, then they're, they're going to become just what you said. They're going to have access to other information, other influences, and they become that. You can see it. You, you can literally walk down the street and see a young man wearing a certain outfit, hairstyle in a certain way, a certain kind of walk, certain kind of behavior, certain kind of talk. Where did it come from? 
It's because he's been exposed to certain images enough times and he became that. So as a father, when you talk about source, because everything else is a resource, it's yeah. emulating what the father's done. So, so we've yeah. got to be the source. Uh, there's so much that you brothers have said that really just blessed me tremendously. I think one of the things that we can do is to try to be more consistent in the way that we model manhood or that we model being a mentor. Um, it's not always just the biological father or the, 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 the stepfather or the father even in the home, but sometimes mm -hmm. we can parent or father or be a source for, for a young man who can get information and insight and, and ultimately things that God has behavior or her behavior for a young woman uh, from that male figure. They may not have it at home. They may not have it at school. But if we can constantly be, begin to influence them in ways that are positive, because after a while, you know, you become that thing. I had, a, I had a father, biological, praise God, still do have him, and a stepfather who passed away about uh, 22 years ago. And so I was, my, my, my mother was remarried, my father was remarried. So it was two homes that I was able to get information from in terms of that father figure. And I thank them both. Neither one of them was perfect, but both of them influenced me in tremendous ways on how to navigate being a father. And then when I became a father, married at 21, became a father at 22, was 25 by the time I had three kids. So I'm 25 years old, married with three kids. Now I have information from these other two men who've been the father figures in my life, but I still intellectually and emotionally was not grown. Even scientists will tell you that, that that young men specifically don't become intellectually or emotionally mature until about 25 years of age. Yeah. So yeah. if you marry with kids at 21 or just a father, you don't even have to be married. You don't know how to do it, even though you may have seen it modeled. You really just emotionally are not able to, to process all that. And then you add into the factor of not having the economic uh, bandwidth to be able to pay for daycare, mm -hmm. you know, schools, mm -hmm. you know, food, all mm -hmm. those things that go into, you spend all your time trying to provide for, and then you're, you're intellectually or rather emotionally absent. One of the biggest uh, things that, that, that I'm most regretful for in my life was not being more active in my children's uh, sports lives when they were, especially mm -hmm. in high school, because it was a season when, when I was divorced after 15 years of marriage and I was a single dad for three years had full custody of all three of my children, all of them teenagers, 12, 14, 15 at the time. And I had full custody, full responsibility for all three of them. And I'm really hustling at that time, trying to provide for, make sure they had a place to live. But I was not able to make all the games. And so I was like, you know what? I really wish I could have spent more time in that. A couple of uh, things I want to touch on real quick also is that uh, I try to model for my kids. Um, it's funny. I was just on a call the other day with some young men who all these guys were 35 to 45. And they just kept calling me Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. I say, hey, fellas, just call me Matt. They're like, okay, Mr. Matt. And he went, I'm like, oh, man, if I arrived at that place. But really, that's a term of endearment. It, it, it was honoring because each of them saw something in me that, that, that they wanted to model or emulate. And so I took it on and, and I said, you know what? Those are the things that I've been trying to do for years is making sure that I'm able to, 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 to say things, model things, especially recovering from mistakes. When you, when you model how to recover from a mistake, because a lot of times men, we're taught, oh, don't cry. You know, you don't want to apologize. You stand up, you fight. At some point, you've got to give up your right to be right and then do it the right way. And you've mm -hmm. got to model that in such a way. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave up his right to be right. Then he did it the right way. Could have called down legions of angels, but he didn't. He gave up his right to be right, and he died. He gave up everything for everybody. 
And that's really what fatherhood, I believe, is in, in a nutshell, is, is learning how to give up everything for everybody that you're responsible for, making them more important than you are. Last quick point is, is a thing that I've been really working on the last few years is how to model or, or to identify the four corners of my existence. And when I say that, I mean there are four corners of, of my boundaries of who I am, establishing those boundaries of who I am in terms of my character, in terms of my commitment, in terms of my personal culture. Four things. It's first, um, that are non-negotiable. I don't negotiate in terms of, of denying my God. I don't negotiate in terms of, of, of disrespecting my, my, my African heritage, my, my, my blackness. I don't disrespect the women in my lives. That means my mother, my wife. I won't allow, I won't be a part of projects that disrespect women. And then finally, my, my, my manhood, meaning I'm a heterosexual male, the way God created me, no disrespect to anybody else who makes specific choices, but those are the four boundaries. So once you know who you are, then you can clearly be identified those kind of things that you're not. I love that. Sai, I saw that you, you, you put your hand up, man. I, I think you got something to say. You want to join in? I, I, Man, Matt Matt just got me fired up with with this, and and I'm sure Rufus is over there feeling it too. He he wants to jump, but but guys, when we when we're talking about the challenges that we see today, one of the things that I've come to find statistically that 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 is that is put on the 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 percentage of 72 percent of homes in America today is fatherless, and when you talk about what what the professor had put out that the biggest challenge is, is the fatherless home and, and why our country is going the way it is. It is not just to African-Americans. It That's is right. to all uh, uh, homes. But, but here's, the thing, here's the thing that we're finding out in our culture, in our lane, and that is cognitive dissonance. Uh, um, Matt was talking about the inconsistency, um, what our young men see that 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 do not have the education, that may not have been brought up by a father, that may not have had an uncle or a, a coach or somebody in his life that could have said to him, young man, don't go this way. And, and, and I'm sure Maurice can understand where I'm coming from. And he has probably had these discussions so many times when he goes into these prisons and he begins to talk about here is the right passage we can go. And the first thing these guys will do, first of all, we struggle with, t with, with trusting one another. That when another brother shows up that it can say to them, listen, I understand where you are. No, man, you don't know where I've been. I beg to differ. I may not have put on the same shoes that you have, but as a father, I know what it is to make mistakes. When these kids came, they didn't come with a manual, you know, and, and, and there are some of, there are some brothers that I know that have turned out to be amazing fathers that didn't have a dad around. But it took an uncle. It took a person who they got a chance to get in their space and, and somebody like Matt who is creating for them a safety space where they can have this dialogue that will impact their cognitive ability. You see, when, 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 we're, when our young men have this imbalance of being able to think a certain way or have certain beliefs or, or be able to, to create a certain attitude, uh, um, then what we find out is that if, if they are misguided, then it, hin it hinders their ability to become better fathers, you know? And there are men who, who had the fathers in the home, but they saw the father beating up the mother, the domestic violence. They saw the father cussing out the mother, okay? Or they saw the father didn't say anything. All he did was get up, go to work, come home, eat, go to sleep. That box life 
and and the kid thinks, okay, maybe when I grow up, maybe this is what life is supposed to be like for me, you know. So so what we what we're talking about here uh, is is another problem that is now um, impacting who we are even now in the 21st century, particularly in this pandemic. And and that's a whole nother show. So I can tell you this right now. We won't even have enough time for that, brother. <laughs> but but there, there is now the discussion of the, of the mental and spiritual therapy that mm-hmm. fathers need because we're finding out domestic violence has increased because of this pandemic, which means the father has been just getting up and going to work, never really being connected emotionally to his children, emotionally to his spouse or anything like that. All I'm doing is go to work and come home. Now he stays home and he finds out that his kids are now an an irritant to him. Or, you know, this woman he calls a wife he don't even know anymore, you know? And now she's saying something or maybe he's on a furlough or lost his job and she's the one bringing in the, 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 the money. That's the other part of our condition, a high level of insecurity, because what we're finding out is more fathers are being raised by single mothers from an emotional place and to to make them feel like, oh, my God, this woman is making more money than me. A lot of men are not ready for that. And a lot of the sisters today are advancing themselves. They're becoming educated. They're preparing themselves. They're ready for a future that some of our men are not ready for due to incarceration, due to, to, to the lack of, of, of stability in terms of who I am, identity, those are the things that are there. And then here's the funny part. We got a whole nother generation that's coming behind us because when these men put these kids out and they get arrested or they go to jail, now they're in this space that the kid feels, I, I got to be the one to take care of this home. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, so so where are we as fathers who have been blessed to be fathers, to be mentors? Those of us who stand on the pulpit and preach the gospel, a lot of churches today don't speak strongly about the position of a father. You know, that we, we don't we don't teach biblically what a father is supposed to be like. We do more talking on, you know, the next church building or the next uh, capital campaign than we do talking to the fathers that will be able to lead their family to come and build the capital campaign, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, man, I love that. You, talk about. you know, we, we got Kevin Brown. He's juvenile justice commission out of New Jersey. He's retired now, but he said, uh, many use mentoring programs in a generic way. He said, mentoring young black men in the 21st century must be done with intentionality. Uh, this includes real training, not just spending time with our young brothers. You know, um, you know, I, and, and I know Rufus can definitely understand where I'm getting ready to go. Uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna just touch on this, man, because we can't park here. Because this this is a this is a, a long, lengthy conversation where we're gonna have to have another show about it. But I do want to talk about this pandemic, man, and I do want to talk about uh, uh, fathering 
your children during this pandemic? Because as me being a single father, uh, having a 16-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter, and they're at home all the time, and I'm homeschooling them, and and, and I got I got to be the, the hall monitor, the principal, the counselor, the chef, the pastor, you know, the father, and whatever else you want to put on that list. And it's, and it's challenging. It is. It's really challenging because... You know, I got to make sure that they stay focused for one, you know, that and we're doing Zoom calls. So, you know, all you all know that I'm, I'm a you know doctorate student. So, you know, I'm sitting at the table trying to do my dissertation. Normally they at school when I'm doing it. Right. So now, you know, I just made breakfast and, and uh, you know, my son two hours later said, Dad, is there anything to eat? You know, but he in class, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know, where I'm, you know, focused on writing my dissertation, I got to take a break, go make them something to eat. So now I have to really actually start thinking about planning meals ahead of time. So I got to start knowing, okay, when I cook dinner, I got to make enough so it's for lunch tomorrow. So I, I don't get distracted. I can just throw it in the microwave, warm it up and give them something to eat. Talk to me about that, Rufus. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a whole lot to say about that, Stewart. So I don't know if I have anything to add, but I will. I let let me flip it. Let, let me flip it on its ear, because a lot of us have been obviously in this pandemic, and it's uh, it's caused a huge inconvenience. It's caused a, in, a huge inconvenience to all things that were familiar to us. So that means, you know, husbands and wives and couples and partners or whatever other adjectives we need to use have had to engage with their significant others more, including their children. And that has caused frustration, you know, for everybody, you know, because, again, let me do me. Let me do my thing. I'm, I have my thing and now y'all impeding on me doing my thing. But I think the flip side is there has been a blessing in us being in this sheltered in place. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'll tell you, there was a, there was a summer when I was in high school that I had the opportunity to watch reruns of the Cosby show with my father that was uh, uh, battling cancer. And I'll never forget that summer because we had a chance to sit down on the couch and watch Heathcliff Huxtable and his family, hours upon hours upon hours. As many of you know, my father went to be with the Lord in 1994, so I can't get back that moment in time when God allowed us to get off the merry-go-round and spend time with each other. So fathering in the pandemic is about seizing the opportunity of the time that we have been afforded, that we may not ever get ever again in our lives. My daughters are 15 and 12. So I'm counting down before my oldest goes to college. And the years are, are few. So again, this few months of us seeing each other every day, being in the house every day, it's a rare commodity. And part of the blessing, I believe, in this pandemic is what are we talking? We're about tapping into the emotional, mental, and physical condition of our kids so that we can direct them in a manner that we couldn't do it by just, you know, dropping in, 
drop off school, pick up school. How was your day? Praise the Lord and go home and so I could do my thing. So again, I feel like this time, it there's a blessing in it because we have been given more time to get focused. Even if the brothers are listening, if you've been laid off, guess what? This time of your layoff is an opportunity to reset your life as a father, as a husband, as a man, as a provider. You have now been given the opportunity to reset and reprogram your life or correct things that were out of order. So, you know, I understand the inconvenience that it's caused on all of us, but as a father, man, this time has been a blessing. Many of us have been working on stuff at the house or me and my wife, we take walks like at least six days a week. We have never done that any time in our life. And we've been together since 1996. So, so again, I feel like as a father, we have to look into the silver lining of this situation and not only find the silver lining in this situation for us, but those that we lead. Fatherhood is about leadership. So again, let's, let's try and tune up our children. And that's one thing we've been talking about. Yesterday, I was on a call with, uh, on Thursday, I was on a call with uh, the Urban League in Los Angeles, about 35 teenagers that are in this entrepreneurial program. And I was on there trying to light their fire because this time of pandemic, if you look at it at first glance, you'll think it's a vacation. But again, it's an opportunity to seize the day. And let's be about our hustle. Let's be about our work so that we could be in position to maximize this moment and come out of this thing, uh, you know, with, with tires smoking. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a challenge, you know. It's a blessing that you, you're able to spend that time with your children, but it's a challenge on how to channel the emotions. And when I say channel the emotions, because they've been isolated, you're isolated, and, 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 and so you want to communicate, you know, how you want them to be successful and you want them to be engaged and even go on a walk. As you said, I, I had to send Stuart and Destiny out the house. I said, man, you, you guys got to go, you know, put a mask on and walk around the corner or something, because I didn't want them to be confined to the house. You know, because when they're confined to the house, it's going to cause them to want to sleep, you know, right after school, go into the room, go to sleep, you know, and, you know, a lot of sleeping is, is a sign of depression, you know. And so now you got depression and and you 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 frustrated because, you know, you can't go see your friends. Uh, you can't go play no ball or you can't go meet at the mall, you know. And so these are challenges uh, you know, and it's also a blessing because you do have the time to, uh, you know, spend the time with your children, but it's also a challenge to be able to communicate on their level and not based on what you want, but based on hearing what they need, you know, because that's, that's a, that's a difficult, it's, I'm, it's a challenge for me. You know, I, 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 and I say that because I'm a single father, you got Shamila, man. So you, y'all can contact him, you know, you say, Hey, I'm gonna take a break. But uh, for me, I'm a hey, it's me, you know, if I'm down, that's it, you know. And so it's, it's, it's kind of challenging when I sit down and have a conversation with Destiny, you know, and, you know, even to the point that not only is are we dealing with the pandemic, 
but we're also dealing with the Black Lives Matter and the and the and the police brutality. So that creates a fear among our children. Where you know my my daughter comes in the room and says, "Daddy, am I going to die? I'm scared." So that's that's a conversation. Everything put aside, baby. Come on in the room. Let's talk about it. Yeah, Maurice, I see you. Yeah. Pandemic aspect of the conversation, but if it, if I can, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask the panelists a big challenge that we found in the past twenty years with responsible fathering is in the fact that we have so many of these guys who have multiple children by multiple mothers. Especially, I'm especially interested in getting the perspective of people who work in the religious arena, because I know you're running into this issue and having mothers and fathers and whomever raising this question. I like to know, I'm sorry to do this too, but I like to know how you, this is a big challenge for us. How do you deal with that? You know, what do you, you know, and, and even, it can even work within the context of this pandemic conversation, right? So what do you guys think? Go a little bit more. What, what do you mean when you say that? What, what are you trying to say as far as the church? Expound on that a little bit more. Well, they come in contact with hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And these folks have this issue, right? Mm -hmm. And I would assume that the mothers, who, you know, these, a mother who has, you know, a, a father who has three or four children by two or three mothers, you know, what do I do in terms of finding time for them, paying child support for them, you know, impressing upon them that I want to be there, but I can't because I don't live with you. You know, mm. the people issues that they have, the child support, it's just a whole range of issues that these guys have, which I, they, they look for answers to these questions. You know, what do I do? Because I want to be a father to my six or seven kids, okay, uh, mm. who have, and I have, three or four mothers of these kids. I'd just like to get the perspective of the, the panel. Okay, I, I can chime in yeah, on that. I, I was going to ask you, man. I, I, go ahead, man. Yeah, my, my thought is this, is clearly communicated expectations. Um, I was talking with a sister just a couple of days ago about, you know, she wasn't clear on marriage. She's a single mom, been raising her daughter, daughter's early teens. And she's, you know, at the place now where she's thinking about marriage. And she's like, I don't understand marriage. I just don't understand it. But one of the things I was very clear about in my second marriage were the mistakes I made in my first. And I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to not make those same mistakes. So I'm going to clearly go into this almost with a business mentality, meaning that these are my expectations. These are my non-negotiables. These are my likes and my dislikes. This is what makes me happy. This is what makes me sad. These things are I can negotiate on. And the same thing I needed from her. Well, let's have this conversation. And I remember at one point she got to a place where she said, you know, I feel like I'm being interviewed. I said, you are. <laughs> I said, I'm a single dad and I got three kids and I need to know I ain't got time. I need to know it's going to be right because not only are you impacting my life and I like you and I love you and I want this to, to work. If you can't work with them, then it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So with, with regard to individuals who have uh, uh, mothers, and, and several different mothers, several different children from several different relationships, clearly defined expectations and clearly defined goals so you have an understanding. What are the children living with the mother primarily? 
What are the goals at that house? What are the rules at that house? So you as a father have to respect those rules. And at the same, same thing goes for the mother. If the, if the father is the primary caregiver, the primary residence, the mother has to have that conversation. I don't care how much he made you mad, you made him mad. In the interest of the children, have that conversation because you've got to give up your right to be right for the children's sake. Mm. You know, I don't like you. I hate you. You mad. You cheated on me. You, whatever. But at the end of the day, what's most important for these children? So you've got to respect that other person's household and clearly communicate. If I say that they can't watch TV after eight o'clock on Friday night, they can't watch TV after eight o'clock at, at my house. Now, maybe it's your house. It may be a different story. So those things need to be clearly communicated, because a lot of times if you've ever experienced it, children try to play the parents against each other. <laughs> what well, yeah. I did daddy house, and then it becomes a bigger thing when you don't clearly define what those things are. Um, and then one other thing I want to touch on this, this, this 21st century black fatherhood piece. I want to circle back to the top question is the difference is fatherhood is the same. You know, it, it, it's always been the same, just like the, you know, Abba father. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. It doesn't change. We change. The environment changes. So you got to remember, we've got we've got the message. It never changes. The motive should never change. We love him because he first loved us. But the methods absolutely positively have to change. We don't ride on horses anymore to get to where we need to go. We get in a car, we get on an airplane. We don't, you know, dial a phone like this. We we pick up something like this. So the method has changed. So we've got to be mindful in the lives of our children of how to emulate that because they they they, they tend to digest and absorb more of what they see than what you say. You can say it all day long. You can preach at them all day long. They're going to look at what you what you see. It's, it's something my one of my sons said to me a couple of months ago, and he's like, uh, somebody he said, you know, I remember you telling me uh, dress dress for your next job or dress for your next promotion, and so he always tries to dress at work a half a step up as opposed to a half a step down. Now I don't forgot all about that. That was 15, 20 years ago when he was small in elementary school, but the fact that it stuck. Now, many times I had to holler them, boy, get this, get it, understand, get yourself together, pull your pants up. It's stuck. So sometimes that consistency is, is really important, saying the same thing over and over and over again. And so when it comes back to, to parents and children living in different homes, clearly communicate those things and develop a partnership, a relationship, a respect for one another. You ain't got to like each other, but you got to at least respect. I say this, and, and I'll close here, is for me in terms of relationships, trust is, is the top. Then it's respect. Then it's love. I got a lot of people who I love that I don't respect and definitely don't trust. But if I can't trust you, <laughs> then I, you know, if I go into battle and I think you got my back, but I, cause I love you and I respect you. I get into battle. I turn around and you're not there to fight with me. I'm in trouble. I could lose my life and everybody around me could lose their lives because I trusted you and you didn't have my back. And that's one of the big things with Children, they feel like they can't trust their fathers or trust their parents. And then you get into that battle back and forth between parental lines and different homes that they can't trust each other. That trust shouldn't affect the children. The children should unconditionally be able to trust their parents, even if they don't live together. Absolutely. I, I think um, this is a great, you know, conversation. Uh, Maurice, when we talk about the church, and unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, the church has just as much issues with this problem as the world does. And, and when we talk about this thing on fatherhood, we don't really you don't really see many churches talking about this topic. They don't really talk about all of these kids. And, and, and 
I remember asking, you know, my mentor, you know, uh, I said, hey, uh, you know, you pastor church over 40 years. You know, what what was your biggest mistake in pastoring those 40 years? He says the biggest mistake that I made was that I didn't spend enough time with my children. I was committed to the church, but not as committed to my children. And, and, and those years, uh, you can't get back. As, as Matt talks about the communication, you know, what we do at Man to Man is we have a curriculum and, and it touches on three things. It touches on active listening, active communication, and conflict resolution. Okay, active listening, that means which we, I don't know about you all, let me just speak for myself. I, I didn't have a lot of good uh, mentors teaching me how to communicate that way. I, I don't remember my dad telling me that he loved me. Uh, I, I don't remember being able to voice how I felt, you know. And so if, if my dad would have said something to me, uh, I, it was just going in and out because he didn't validate what I had to say. So I didn't validate what he had to say. I mean, that was just my mentality. But 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 as we teach these young men how to actively listen that means to be able to be engaged in a conversation where you ask questions, where uh, and when you have six or seven kids, then you're going to have to be creative with those six or seven kids. How you ask the direct question, because each one of them have a different personality, each one of them are different. And so how you um, craft the question uh, will get that response back as far as that relationship. Uh, my, my son and I, we go back and forth with with. with you know, conflict and, and I'm not saying conflict is a bad thing, but, you know, I'm voicing my opinion. He's voicing his. I try to sit down and tell him my perspective. He sits down, tell me his perspective. We go back and forth. Then I try to, you know, try to meet him halfway. And then I try to, you know, uh, build that uh, that credibility with him to the point that I trust him until he um, allows me to lose that trust. Then He's going to have to build that trust back. And, and, and so at some point, you know, the communication gets lost because now he's frustrated because there was uh, results or, or consequences for his actions. And so now he, the, the conversation breaks down. Now we're not communicating anymore because you didn't get what you wanted anymore because based on what you did. And so, uh, you know, this communication is so big, not just in children, but uh, you all know, I, now I wasn't the best husband. I must just say, uh, I, I failed as a, as a husband, but, but I have not failed as a father. I think that that's a part that I, I really... Uh, has been working on trying to make sure that my children get something uh, that I didn't get. And so when, when we talk about this active listening, when you're going back and saying, okay, well, so what are you saying? Are you saying blah, 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 and then let the person come back and say, well, no, that's not what I said. And then she says, what I, you know, whatever you know, it is that they say. We all know that when it comes to communication, if there's miscommunication, there's conflict. We already know that. And, and, and that's, that didn't necessarily, Matt and I grew up in Oakland. I've been knowing him since the fourth grade. You know, it was a whole lot of things in East Oakland that, you know, brother said something and we said something else and, and they interpreted some way different than what we said. And, and then all of a sudden it turned into a fight. You know, and, and based on something that I never said, you know, but you interpreted that you heard something 
you know, and so this is really critical when it comes to fatherhood, you know, and being engaged with the spouse, a person not, you don't even have to be together with them, but to be able to communicate with them to say, okay, I understand what you're saying. And I validate that. I, you, you, what you're saying is you feel like blah, 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 blah. And, and I understand that. And, uh, but you know, can I share my perspective? And, 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 and then you begin to share your perspective. And then what you do is you reduce uh, the conflict, you know, because they're, the, you both understand. You know, I'm not waiting for you to say what you need to say so I can say what I want to say. That's not active listening. That's, I'm, I'm trying to win the conversation. You say what you want to say. Are you done? Okay. Now, what I want to say is, no, that's not the, the active communication. That's me having a battle with you trying to win uh, a conversation. So, Maurice, you, you, is, is that make sense to you what I'm saying? I want to hear, I want to hear from the other panelists. Uh, you know, it does make sense. It definitely makes sense. But I know these guys are having, you know, these conversations, these questions are co coming up. So, uh, so I, I, um, just to just to um, I, I think both of you brothers have really put some some good meat on the table. Um, great questions, uh, uh, Maurice. From the from the perspective of the church, from the perspective of a pastor, um, let me let me just say a shepherd that has a couple of uh, uh, um, bulls in his flock that got multiple. You know, uh, um, I hear you. you know, he's doing his thing. Got children all over the place. Right. You know, we we come in, we come in as this because here, here's the underlying thing. He loves her, hooked up with her, got her pregnant. She's on the other side. She was probably in love with him. He moved on to the next one. Okay, hooked up with her, got her pregnant, and then now we have this situation. Okay. The challenge here that we have found, I know I found, is the unfinished. Um, conversation with the previous one, the the one who we started off with, that he didn't he didn't close the chapter there, and and we have an issue. If you understand what I'm saying, so we're debating now. How can I go and and talk about uh, 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 these kids when she doesn't want to hear anything other than the fact that you got to help me take you know deal with this pain. I'm mad at you, no matter which way you go, no matter what you want to say. And, and we're not going to have this conversation. As much as he wants to, he's still facing a hindering block there. So when, when a person shuts their heart towards receiving because of pain, now we as pastors, we have to come in and begin to teach on the message of forgiveness. You see, because if, if, if we can't get beyond this, we're not going to help, Junior. We're not going to help. You know, um, uh, um, Sally, over here, our kids, if, if they even come to see the man, you know, if I'll even, if the lady thinks, if I'll even let them come and spend time with you, this is a, this is a serious crisis in the church. So sometimes the father has to step back and say, you know what? I gotta, I gotta be a father from a distance. I got, I gotta be a father from where, because of your mom, I can't reach you because, because of this fuel between us. I can't even communicate in a way where you will understand, son, daughter, how much I love you. And even when he's speaking, she's also speaking here. You're going to be good for nothing. You're going to be just like your father. You're not going to amount to anything. These things are destroying 
our children. And then when these fathers come to the church, their, their biggest question is, how do I deal with this? Well, first thing I always tell them is, you know, we got, we got we to gotta ascertain what that heart is, that love walk. We got to start speaking to how we can change that and start getting you to understand what a father is through the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The same Abba you're talking about. We have to reintroduce them to this man because Maurice is a change of heart. With that, that in and of itself, I think is a diabolical scheme of the enemy to separate a home because when a house is divided against itself, it's never going to stand. And that that man could have made that mistake a long time ago. You know, it could made it when he was a teenager. But but it doesn't mean he doesn't love his child. Now he goes back to try to talk to her and she doesn't want to listen. I'm just playing this part of the conversation so we can understand the difficulty that comes along with it. And as pastors, when we come into the fray to start to teach, we have to teach with a shepherd's heart, given a different perspective based upon the word of God. That's also a form of communicating that will take a process, will take a process. Sometimes we have to even ask you know what? Do you mind if you bring her? Let's sit down and have a conversation. Listen, man, sometimes we got to go get Stuart to come sit in the room, you know, with me to talk to the mother or whoever that might look like so that she can know. It's, we're not jumping on you, but this man loves his children. Is there anything we can help you see or do to help make this, this part of his life better, make it complete? He wants to participate. Those are, the, some, those are just some of the things that we have been able to do and present some have been effective. Some yeah. others have walked away from it because they didn't want to deal with the process or deal with her. Right. You know, that's just the reality of it. And at the end of the day, we can't fix everything, but we can pray for everything mm -hmm. that God can change it. Hey, you know what? I, I want to change gears right quick because um, we, we're getting close to the hour. And I wanted to talk to Rufus, ask him a question. Uh, Rufus, you you talked about your dad and you and sitting on the couch with him. Uh, how, how old were you at that time? Um, I think I was probably like 14 or... 15? I was somewhere in there, 14 or 15. Now, when how old was you? How old were you when your dad passed away? I was 17. Okay. So so how did that impact your life? Well, you know, I, I think uh you you're saying the time watching the Cosbys or him passing? Him, him passing, having your dad up to being 17, because he laid a, a foundation. Cause, cause you, you, you ended up being, uh, <laughs> but I know you, you had some challenges probably when he passed away. And I'm just trying to figure out how did that impact your life and the decisions you chose when he passed away? Yeah. Um, great question. So yeah, my father was a great father. He was a stand up guy, um, educated, hardworking, uh, involved in my life, my sister's life, the community, a loyal husband, you know, type of guy that was home every night. Um, but when he passed away, there was definitely a big void. You know, there was a huge void that was left not only in my life, but my, my mother's life and my sister's life. And that's, you know, sometimes when I talk to people about, you know, fatherhood, you really know the job that we do when we're gone, 
And I know that sounds kind of morbid, but it's it, it, it it's true. You know what I mean? What inheritance is being left, you know, to our children? You know, even the guy with six kids by five different mothers, back to Maurice's question, if a man and a father can carve out some period of time with those six kids each month and make it as imp- impactful as possible, he, hey, you know what? That impact can have a multi-generational impact. You know, so for me, I feel like my father leaving me at 17, um, he laid a great groundwork and he gave me a great model. That's the thing. He gave me a great mental image and picture of what a father and a husband look like. So even after he was gone, I was always referring back to that image and picture. You know what I mean? So, you know, throughout college and, you know, getting married and having kids, I would always refer back and try and see, am I measuring up to that standard or am I now doing it my way that may be a little bit different from my father? And uh, I also praise God for mentorship because when I look back at my life, God gave me mentors that walked with me. It was almost instantaneous. As soon as my father passed, he passed in January of 1994. I remember a man named Mr. Clarence Livingston. He began to mentor me through my girlfriend at the time. It was almost like that summer or, or that spring. You know, and now I I see that was God's hand because God was providing me with fatherhood through other men. And Mr. Livingston, he 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 lived right there in North Oakland near Children's Hospital. He was in the classic cars. So I was over there every weekend with my truck. We're talking about cars and going to car shows. I'm spending more time with him, you know, sometimes, you know, than with my girlfriend at the time. And after Mr. Livingston, there were other men that stood in the gap that really have walked with me throughout my road to manhood. And, and back to Maurice's question, the critical nature of the church, we have to know how to disciple men, period. We have to know how to disciple fathers because we are receiving these men in different stages of, our, of their lives And our job as the church is to help them to buy into the process of discipleship and mentorship. Just like uh, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that statement, it, it exudes discipleship and it also exudes mentorship. So, again, I got to where I am not only by the contribution of my biological father, but also these many men that have mentored me throughout my life. Even today, I can pick up the phone and call some men that I, I consider mentors that can mentor me in certain disciplines. Some can mentor me in finances. Some can mentor me in spiritual matters. Some can mentor me in marriage matters. Some can mentor me in fatherhood matters. So again, I feel like our job as church leaders, we have to get our men and fathers and mothers to buy into that process. We have to champion fatherhood from the pulpit and from the pew. 
you know, one of the greatest things our and, and uh, Stuart side, you guys were there when our church back in the Bay Area watched the movie Courageous. And we had tons of men sign the Courageous Declaration together in front of our wives and children. Man, it was phenomenal. It was a ph phenomenal testimony of, 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 the, of the job that the church can play in trying to repair the breaches of the voids of fathers. You know, um, <laughs> this is making me think about something with Matt, and I'm going to bring some. I'm going to go back to the past, Matt, and pull something up. Now, now, Matt had a dad at home. I had a dad at home. We grew up, you know, fourth grade all the way through high school. Uh, now we're ministers in the in the gospel. He gets married. We're in South Carolina, right? And um, he had a pastor that was just loaded with wisdom. And uh, we were just trying to suck that thing up all the way up to the time he was getting getting ready to get married. We sucking it up. Do you remember that, Matt? We asking him questions. I mean, we were starving for this 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 man wisdom that you know we really should have got from our dad. Uh, well, I, let me speak for myself. I, I won't speak for Matt, but I felt like I probably should have got from my dad. You want to talk about that, Matt? You remember that yeah, time? Yeah, that, oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, Pastor Reed. Um, this was my second marriage, so I realized that you know I made clearly I made some mistakes. Number one, I wasn't equipped the first time to be married, but I thought I was doing the right thing because my wife at the time was expecting. I had planned on marrying her anyway. I said, "Let me go ahead and do it." We got married, but I think that the foundation was was flawed. So the next time when I go through this this period of divorce, single fatherhood season where I got three kids full time, my fully mine. Uh, um, it, it was a challenge because at the time I was in ministry, I was an on-air person at a radio station, a gospel radio station. So I'm, I got this image, but at home it's falling to pieces. So I said, look, you know, next time I do this, it's got to be right because my priorities were out of balance. So I think in that conversation we had with, with Pastor Reed, I think that the one thing we can all learn is not try to get everything from everybody. If you play on a football team, you got a defensive coach, you got an offensive coach, you got a strength training coach. There are different coaches who can help strengthen you, kind of like what, what Rufus was talking about, learning something from different people, learning different models or, or mentorship details from different people. Not everybody's good at money. My biological father's not the greatest in money, but in terms of morality, in terms of doing what's right, in terms of help, helping the downtrodden, he's always been that guy. I, I moved to the East Coast from Oakland uh, in 83 to go to college, and I'd call back home. And a couple of the homies would be at the house. I'm like, yeah, man, Daryl and Rob was over. I'm like, what are they doing over there? Because neither one of them had fathers in their in their whole lives. So they were at my dad's house just hanging out, you know, just doing nothing but hanging out. So I think that, that learning how to be open enough. And then the second part of that is, is many times I think in the church, we tend to answer questions that nobody's asking or a specific group is not asking. So we'll, we'll, we'll do what we've been taught and we'll preach at them as opposed to doing what I, I've learned in media is market research. You know, you trying to sell uh, pork chop sandwiches in a Jewish neighborhood, you know, <laughs> you might not only not sell anything, but you might get beat up because you're selling a wrong product to a wrong community. You don't know your market. So you got to, <laughs> You got to know your market. You know, you got to know who you're talking to. So, yes, you want to teach your children certain things. But at the same time, you need to hear what are you dealing with? Well, I'm dealing with bullying at school. I got this girl who likes me. Uh, I got these dope dealers trying to make me sell drugs. I'm trying. I'm stressed out. You know, I'm thinking about suicide. You know, all these. You need to ask questions. Don't just assume that one thing I used to do with my kids. 
when they were young, I would tell them what to do. Then I would say, tell me what I told you. Tell me what you understood about what I said. Because many times I'm thinking I'm, I'm a communicator. That's what I do for a living. Ministry, media. Oh, yeah, I know how to talk. And I would say it. And they would tell me something completely different that they didn't get it. Either one, they weren't paying attention or two, they really just didn't understand it. So I would sit there and take time to try to re-understand, to, to, to communicate in a way that was more effective. Now, once they learned it and they could tell me what I said, and if they didn't do it, then they in trouble. You know, mm. so so one of the quick point I want to hit on, man, is, is, is scripture says, even though you have 10,000 teachers or instructors, you have not many fathers. A teacher gets off at three o'clock. Teacher gets off at five o'clock. Teacher's worried about grading your pages. Teacher's worried about giving you assignments, but a father's in it. His offspring to be better than he is. He wants to model the next level or mold or shape the, the best him that he can be, meaning if it's a, if it's a daughter or a son, he wants to make him or her the best she can be. It's amazing to me in this season of my life now, where I'm just moving into grandfatherhood, and my daughter, you know, got got married a year and a half ago, had a first child in in uh, December of last year, and now we're in this season of she's calling me, like texting me all the time, yeah, hey dad, what about this? Hey dad, what about that? And we're just we're dialoguing more often than we did even before she got married, or even since she got married before she had a child. Same thing with my youngest son. Now I find him now in, in, in his job. Uh, he's like, Hey dad, what about this? My 401k? What about my healthcare? What should I do? Now he had a season where he didn't listen to what I told him to do. And he got himself in some legal trouble. And I'm like, boy, I done moved us 3000 miles away to get away from the hood. You want to try to be hood. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm not modeling that, but he was listening to other outside influences. And over a period of time, learning the hard way, he got back on the, the path called straight got himself together. And now he's seeing that he spent all these 10 years messing up. And he's like, wait a minute now, I'm learning how to do it the right way. Don't do what I learned for me in my twenties. I messed up my whole twenties financially, relationally. And then I realized in my thirties, I just fix all that stuff. So now, you know, my forties, everything got good. Now in my fifties, I'm like, okay, it's, it's working now. I don't want you to have to go through making the same mistakes that I made for those, those 20, in those 20 years. And then, you know, have to try to fix it for another 10 years. Last point is scripture says, write the vision, make it plain. A lot of times we'll write visions, but they're not very plain. We think they're clear. But if you notice when you're riding on a highway, the, the, the get off the exit sign, you're doing 60 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour flying by. You got to read that thing quick and you got to understand it quick. You got to understand what it says, how to make an adjustment, how to get off on your right exit. So there was a thing back in, in the day called the Code of Hammurabi and, mm-hmm. and, and, and in Persia. And that mm-hmm. literally was a big thing of stone that were the rules for that community. It was everywhere. So you had no excuse for not knowing the vision was written and it was made plain everywhere in the community. Everywhere you went, you saw the Bill of Rights or the Ten Commandments. That, that, that was the, the, the law of that land. So once you understood it, so when you messed up, you stole, cheated, killed, whatever it was you did, you broke the law. You had no excuse. So when it comes to parenting and teaching our sons and daughters being fathers, it's making that that it's not necessarily having to be super rigid all the time, but but reiterating, being credible, being consistent, and then many times being creative in the way that you present those rules and those standards. So because at the end of the day, we want to be not only their cheerleaders, but we got to be their life coaches. And in order for them to win, they got to hear it over and over and over, and yeah. over again. Yeah.
Man, I, you know what? Uh, we we come to the hour, man, where we, of course, you all know we're going to have to come back. This has been a rich conversation. I'm seeing the viewers, man, and they they, they throwing all kind of stuff in, in the comments. So I want to first thank them for joining us and being a part of this discussion. Uh, we're going to come back and do this again, man, but I, I don't want them to cut this off because I think you get a certain time that you can do this, and then all of a sudden we'll be talking and all of a sudden it's not being recorded. So <laughs> so what I what I do want, um, you know, on, on the close part is is give me one word, 21st father. What, a black father in 21st century, give me one word. Sorry. Um, clarity. Clarity. Matt. I'm going to go with consistency. Rufus. Uh, two words, all in. All in. Maurice. Present. That's me too, present. Hey, I appreciate you, brothers, man. I love you much. Uh, thank you for taking this Saturday to join us. Uh, viewers, you've seen it. This is on Can We Have a Conversation? Man-to-man, -man, urban use advocate, uh, speaking about what it means to be a father in the 21st century. All these gentlemen that you've seen are excellent fathers. They've had challenges. They've been consistent. They've been present. They've been engaged, and they've been all in. Amen. So thank you again. Uh, until the next time, brothers, I will be reaching out soon. Amen. Thank you. All right.